Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to the Western Hunting Hub podcast. Don't forget to subscribe or like or uh, write a review. That'd be great. Uh, but also what I'm finding out is if you could just listen all the way through, that'd be great if you could listen to the whole thing. Even if you're not really listening, just listen the whole way, leave it running and, and walk out of the room. That really, really helps some of the stats and data. Um, I know that seems silly, but anyway, um, don't have any sponsors to thank. Don't have any giveaways going on right now. Just to have some good quality content. So we'll get right into it. Uh, we've got Jason Arthur, a good buddy of mine. Uh, used to teach with him back in Colorado, and he had some great opportunities this last fall. He was busy, busy in the field. So we've got one kind of main hunt we're going to look at centered around the different kinds of Western big game hunts. Uh, a different kind, a very different kind. So we're going to be looking at that. It's kind of a cool, cool deal that he had the opportunity to do. So I'm excited to chat with you about that. So without spending any more time, me rambling, here is my buddy Jason. All right, we're joined with my good buddy Jason again. It's been probably uh, 40 episodes or so, 30 episodes ago, I had you on, Jason, to kind of talk about rough pack outs and this go around you've had a lot of fortunate hunts a lot of unfortunate hunts like everybody and um, this last one this last season I thought was a pretty darn good season for you so I wanted to bring you on and and talk about a different kind of western big game hunt and we, we all think about uh, big game hunts in the west we think about elk and mule deer and even whitetail pronghorn that sort of thing but Really, we're pretty fortunate in having a lot of really unique kind of things that 
are available. Uh, not to everybody. They're a pretty limited draw, uh, but they are still free ranging. And if you look across other parts of this, the country, you got some other unique things. So that's what I mainly want to talk about. And, and I brought Jason on. So uh, Jason, if you could just real quick introduce yourself, who you are and uh, what you do. Yeah, thanks again for having me on again, Clint. Um, it's just a real blessing to be able to sit here and talk hunting because um, we love it and we enjoy it. Um, like Clint said, I'm Jason Arthur. I'm now a halftime teacher, halftime assistant principal uh, for high school here in Western Colorado. And we, my wife and two kids, my kids are seven and ten. We own a a 90 acre ranch, um, and we just enjoy life on that ranch in the outdoors and. And we take care of other people. My wife and I are fortunate to be in a position where we have professions that serve others. So that's kind of our mission in life is to take care of others and um, and then to enjoy the outdoors as much as possible. Yeah, have you had uh, – we've always kind of keep in contact on what you got running around. Any Anything good this year running around? You have a bunch – we didn't talk about that this fall. Did you have some bears running around again, getting to the fruit trees? What'd you, what was all running down? Any good deer? No, you know, it's been a, you know, we've had a really, really bad drought the last two years here in Colorado. Um, we're, we've been about 50% snowpack, um, and in the high desert, uh, that just doesn't work. <laughs> so we've been actually, you know, maybe last year I saw one four point buck on our place. And this year we didn't even see any during the hunting seasons. Um, and we just saw a couple last week, um, the elk usually don't come down. We saw them unless it's a heavy snow year. So this year we're, we're at 120% right now. We saw them um, in our field to the west of the house. There was about 100 head a few weeks ago. Um, but again, no hunting season's open. Um, and I took a bull anyways this year. So we and just a, like to watch them. And um, a stud of a bull, which we will talk about another day. Cause I, <laughs> I want to, I'm sure we'll rival any nasty pack out we talked about last time. Now you had that. Yep, you were, you were yeah, talking a about one. a a a uh, bull moose last time, so that probably was still pretty rough. That was definitely worse. Um, but yeah, then uh, you know the fruit was it was an average year for fruit. We had a lot of apricots and apples, um, but all of our apples or apricots were uh, all the early ones froze. Um, but those are the ones that tend to last into late August, early September. So we had some bears over the summer with our apricots that ripened up in late July, early August, but they didn't stay around because mm. those late apricots kind of um, weren't there. So, yeah, we didn't hunt much on our place this year, but, you know, that gives us an opportunity to go other places and have some adventures for sure. I was thinking about that uh, this last fall. I was kind of missing having the apricots from all you guys to slice up and put into my hunting food. It's not something we we grow around here, so I miss that. No, but, and then those animals that are eating it, it's just like the black bear I shot. Uh, it was 2019, I think. You know, 20 inch skull, big burly bear, cutting him up, and most people think you know bears stinky, nasty, um, just like this aroma of apricots. <laughs> That's all it was. It was just cutting this bear up. You cut the stomach open, and it's just full of apricot pits, and then. Wow. You know, and you eat the you eat the meat, and it's just got this beautiful flavor to it because of the apricots they were eating. So, yeah, it definitely helps a bunch. Well, I took uh, your bear breakfast recipe and I, or your breakfast sausage recipe, and I made 
almost my entire bear this year out of that. And except for yeah. the, the back ham, I have the back ham that I'm going to mess with over my paternity leave. So I'm going to mess with that a little bit. But the, uh, I, and then I was teaching a cooking class the other day. I, I added fat to it with, I had some bighorn and messing with that. And I added too much fat to it. That sausage recipe does not need any fat. Like, nope. At no, all. it doesn't. The so, bear fat's enough. Yeah. Well, even with, you know, it's, with, uh, the bighorn, it, it made it spongy and weird. I didn't, huh. yeah. I, or, and I know bighorn is just not the highest quality of meat. Um, mountain goat absolutely trumps bighorn. Uh, I've noticed I've had a decent amount of bighorn recently and it's just, you kind of need to mask it a little bit for, for probably one of the most coveted hunts in the, the nation. You would think it tastes a little better, but it doesn't, <laughs> yeah. it, it sure doesn't. So at least there's that knowing that may get a sheep in my lifetime. I may. <laughs> so what about doll sheep? Yeah. Is that, is that any good? Uh, it's very good. Yeah. You, you pretty much look at Alaska, um, in the North, any meat that you get up there is pretty high quality and pretty tasty. Hmm. Um, as long as you don't catch them in the rut or run them hard. Um, you know, we, like I shot my mountain goat out in Alaska and it was, I watched them butt heads and fight and that was the worst meat I've ever had. Huh. You could barely eat it. Hmm. Um, and then, you know, a caribou, we were archery hunting the North slope for caribou one year and my buddy stuck a, a caribou bull and then I stuck it and then it just kept running and we're archery hunting cause you can only archery hunt within five miles of the road. And eventually I got a couple more in it, but it ran for four or six hours and it, it was nasty. <laughs> huh. So, but yeah, yeah, out there, the meat tends to be a higher quality, um, meat for some reason. Hmm. Well, uh, I want to talk about some of those unique species that we can hunt in the West. Uh, Coos deer is not really that unique anymore. It's gained such popularity. Uh, chatting with with uh, some folks down there, it seems like the uh, some of the influential influencers will say kind of brought a lot of light to that and really yeah. blew up coos deer hunting. So that's gained popularity. It's not even that unique of a thing anymore. Still, the common person does not know what a coos deer is. That's not a hunter. Yeah, and then you yeah. Yeah. When you look at it, you know, that over-the-counter deer tag in archery for, for oh, yeah. Arizona, they it's an any-buck tag. So yeah. people are looking for both mule deer and coos deer. And, you know, I've had a couple of bucks I went after at spot and stock, and they just, they're slippery, man. Really? Um, had a couple of does at 10 yards, but I'm not going to shoot a doe, of course, on, a, on that hunt. But, yeah. yeah, I just, you'd see them, and then you don't, and then you get within 100 yards, and you have no idea where they are because they're hiding in a, gray bush yeah and then they take off well for the many reasons i canceled that trip um there was a little bit of relief knowing that i maybe wasn't ready i wasn't ready even for my uh my shooting because they're so small and being so slippery like that just wouldn't probably wouldn't have worked out so i'm glad i'll i'll attack that another year and Definitely not with a recurve, considering my my uh, <laughs> situation with a recurve not long ago. <laughs> off, off air story, 
talking about yep. bunnies. But um, so, what are some of those other critters that you can think of? And I shared my list with you, uh, so listeners know I shared my list. But um, I know there's so many others out there. Just those unique, weird ones that I don't want to spend a lot of time on. Obviously, on the most recent uh, mediator season, they did did the axis goat and pig. Or I know there's pig up there because they. Um, Danny Bolton, who was on that episode, he actually, he was on the podcast not long ago and, and he, uh, talked about going pig hunting and, and going up and get those goats and axis and those, and those sorts of things. So that's yep. a, that's a way West kind of hunt, but what, what were you thinking of for, for just other different kind of hunts? Uh, well, I'll pretty much take any tag I can get. Right, and yeah. I put in applications for a ton of states. But if you, you know, if you look through the states, the the more exotic hunts, uh, New Mexico has several. Uh, you've got Barbary sheep. Um, they have ibex and oryx, um, mm-hmm. all really neat animals, um, and they're all free range too. Right, so if that's something that, that concerns you, um, if you want to look into Texas, they have just about anything you want to hunt you know free range um it's pretty limited but they have a ton of high fence exotic species you can go hunt um and then you know to be honest uh any sheep hunt for us in the uh, united states now is a hunt that's pretty special i wouldn't call it exotic because it's you know a native species but it's a pretty special hunt whether it's uh most people the bighorn um the Rocky Mountain bighorn is the most likely option. Um, uh, desert bighorn, you, you know, that's pretty slim chances anywhere you go. Um, and then you get up into Canada with the um, with sheep up there and then doll sheep up in the, uh, you know, Yukon and into Alaska. So those are pretty rare hunts as well. Um, and then I would call the grizzly another rare hunt too because you have to either have a guide and go in Canada or Alaska. Oh, sure. Um, you know, they're trying to open it up here in the lower 48, but it keeps getting shut down. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So there's not much opportunity for those animals. So I would call them a, a pretty special hunt if you get one of those tags for sure. Yeah. And then I'm sure you saw the wolf hit the endangered species list again. Um, yep, I did. So unfortunately. in, in um, South Dakota, that, that hurts us because, it, we treated them like a coyote, and if you saw one, you could shoot one. They were tra- being trapped in Nebraska, uh, la- one or two in the last like two years, three years, and so now it it just provides that protection again. But I was thinking about that. Yep. Maybe that's a future episode to talk about that and all the stuff behind the ESA because that's a that's a mess. <laughs> it is it to really say is. The least. Yeah, and i think there's still some open hunting in idaho montana wyoming right um yeah you know where it was officially declared recovered but, yeah um, yeah and in general it's now closed again yeah so um i the uh exotic when we think about exotic hunting sometimes you do get, get wrapped up with the texas hunt out of a stand high fence kind of stuff and and I don't want to go down that road. I I didn't wouldn't wouldn't want to really talk about it on the podcast if that's what we we're talking about. But we've got something a little different. We've got the oryx and the ibex and those those really unique species down in New Mexico uh, that that 
you got the opportunity to go after in Oryx anyway. And so I want to talk yeah. about that. Um, cause I was thinking real close to you, uh, is that one ranch where you can go shoot those goats and random stuff, the Texas dolls. And it's like walking into the herd with your bow and it's not, it's not a hunt. <laughs> no, it's not. It's, uh, it's killing. Yeah. It's uh, killing. It's killing. To, to yeah. shoot a goat. <laughs> yep. But so, um, yeah, you, got you know, I just to, to, to piggyback off that my, one of my buddies took his 10 year old daughter on one of those hunts Yeah, and it was her first animal and she had the time of her life. Yeah, that's true. You know, so there can be a good time and place for that. That's um, true. And they're not, they're not that expensive, a few hundred dollars. So, you know, if that's an avenue, some people want to expose their kids in a good, safe environment that's easy hunt because little kids like easy and have fun that's a, it's a good option yeah for sure yeah that's a good yeah. point um so first off i, I don't want to just dive into this hunt i want to kind of look at some of the pieces leading up to that uh so you you drew your new mexico oryx tag um and so first of all where is that tag and what is it for and i'm assuming you don't mind sharing that because it's a once and i don't know how no it's um so oddly enough, it actually wasn't a draw tag. Um, so we, you know, when you put in for New Mexico, I spent like 12 grand in New Mexico last year, just applying because you have to pay for all the tags oh, and I man. paid for my daughter's tags. <laughs> She's 10 now. They allow 10 year olds. So good, good place to put in for use. Um, but so I put in for the draw on all these species. And when you get to Ibex and Barbary sheep and Oryx, you can actually click a box that says, I would like to participate in population management hunts if they're available. Click. So I click the box. What the heck? It's a hunt, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, the draw comes out. I actually drew a really good deer tag to be, it's like a 3% or one and a half percent draws. My daughter draws a 50% draw deer tag in unit 16, the Gila. So we're all excited. We're getting ready and geared up for New Mexico and, no thought whatsoever to the others because it's just you know if you look at the odds um i get you know i get the epic outdoors magazine i look at the odds for like barbary sheep one in 600 one in 80 you know and then you go to i oryx and it's one in 86 and one in 124 and it's just the odds are so slim you can never count on it and you would just kind of like i'm just gonna put my name in the hat and see if i draw it yeah, and you would think that, um, that that's not like horrible, horrible odds. But if you look at, uh, I remember the bighorn sheep in Glenwood Canyon right outside of Glenwood Springs, Colorado. The, I always looked at that unit. It's like, that's I would go sheep hunting there. And I remember yeah. that was like, oh, after you got your three points and whatever else, and you're out into the weighted points, that was like one in 75. And it's probably right. like one in 80. And that was still like a, holy crap, I drew it, I drew it kind of thing. Um, it is yeah. so one in eighty is still it, it it's that's pretty that's darn low odds really low. it's slim yeah but um, you know just a tip for people I play the numbers game I'm a mathematician right and I put in probably forty applications a year for different you know that's across the board eight states five animals per state whatever it is you know. And, over the course of a few years, you get over 100, 200 applications, you're probably going to draw something good at some point, especially in New Mexico where it's a random draw. Right. You know, to put your name in the hat. Um, so, like, on this. Go. I was going to ask about, like, so how how did you draw this? Like, I know, 
you're yeah, you're so, a stats um, man. You're you're a numbers guy and can dive into that. How did you? So draw when that? I when I put in for these these hunts that are just random, I just I'll pick if it's an attainable place for me to go with public land. I'll just pick the best odds hunt. Like trophy quality, don't really care because I just want to hunt that animal and have an adventure. Um, you know, if you're getting the trophy quality hunts and you're getting to the one in five and six hundred hunting odds, you know, and but I just want to get a, a good representative animal. So I'm just putting in for the lowest odds hunt. Hmm. Um, and like I said, it's just a matter of volume at that point. If you put enough hunts in over the course of 10 years, you're going to draw some pretty, some tags eventually. And New Mexico um, is a no now preference I've been, point. Right. It's completely random, but I've been extremely fortunate. Like you got to understand that. Like I've drawn three tags in New Mexico the last two years that are less than 3% odds. <laughs> I like, I can't explain it. Like just, okay, the Lord wants me to hunt. So I'm going to go hunt. Yeah. Um, but this hunt in particular, I'm, I'm, you know, if I look at the odds from last year, one in 86, I didn't draw it, but I clicked that box for population management and I got, um, back from Alaska, we went to Alaska in July, August, um, the first week of August, I had to start my new job as assistant principal there um, at our high school. And um, I get a call and our principal had just told me no days off in September. So I'm like, okay, I don't have any hunts planned anyways. So not a big deal. Well, literally a, a day or two later, I get a phone call from New Mexico Fish and Game. Um, the Oryx are overpopulated on Fort Bliss which is south, extreme south-central New Mexico, right on the Texas border. Um, and we have opened up five or six tags for this particular weekend. Uh, do you want one? Yeah. And I'm like, ooh. <laughs> and I said, yeah, I do, but what are the details, right? Because you got to really, you got to think the details through. Number one, it's a $1,600 tag. Right. Right. That gave me pause. <laughs> Uh, number two, and then you got to look at the, the hunt regulations, like these population management hunts. Um, it's an escorted hunt. You, you know, you meet the game warden, he takes you out. They let you loose in the area and they, they tell you like, Oh, there were animals there yesterday. And they kind of give you a general idea, but you're expected to shoot the first adult you see. Hmm. Um, so you got to think about some of those things. And then you've got, um, the military is Fort bliss. You, you have all their regulations to follow. So you have all the paperwork, all that paperwork entails pretty much opening your life to them with a background check. You have to register your firearms, give them serial numbers. So if that's something you don't like, you know, you just have to be comfortable with them really knowing who you are um, to be able to issue that per, um, access right alongside of the hunting permit that you get um so i i guess for that hunt i wasn't concerned about it because um, it's something that i just i really wanted to do but that the call came on a friday and the guy said well i need to know by monday at 8 a.m so we thought about it i talked to my wife so big piece of advice make sure your spouse is okay with it <laughs> um and i called the guy as soon as they opened at Monday morning and, and confirmed um, that I'd take the hunt. Um, just knowing that 
you know, it might not be a great animal, but it could be a good representative animal. And that's what I'd be happy with. What was the season or what was the time you were allowed? Yeah, it was one day. So they called me. So after we confirmed everything in a couple weeks, so it was like August 10th or whatever, by August 20th or 25th, Fort Bliss had called me and said, here are the two days. It was a Saturday or a Sunday. Which day do you want? And they called me first, fortunately. So I said, well, I was thinking Sunday, but I thought about it and it actually worked better for me if I could just take off Friday at noon and I confirmed with our principal that would be okay. And I said, okay, I'll take the Saturday hunt Um, because you know, I could take off Friday afternoon and then also you're first on the, on the hunt. Um, so that's just kind of how the process played out. And then I got all my paperwork done and then, um, it was like September 18th or something like that. I don't remember the exact date, but yeah. So that's how, that's kind of the process of how that all worked out. Um, so like, What's the, did you learn anything about, about the species at all? Like why they were there? Um, anything about transplanting them? I know they're from Southern portion of the continent of Africa. Some down yeah. in that, that whatever that big desert is. Yep. Yeah. I put a little bit of time into it. Um, just the, different color variations. You know, there are a couple of main different color variations of Oryx. Uh, one is a really light bodied, almost white, um, with a brown, kind of a brown neck and a white face. Um, and then the one they have in New Mexico is actually a really pretty tan body. It's got a black stripe down its back and its belly and stripes around the legs. And the face is mostly black, but it has kind of a white mask on it. Um, didn't so they call that good. The, the brown one like a the Seminole or something like that? Yeah, I, I, you know, I was trying to look it up and I couldn't find it, but it was something like that. Yeah. Um, but again, I didn't really concern myself that much with it, knowing that's all that was down there. Oh, yeah. Um, and I think they brought them in from Africa in you know the sixties or seventies. Um, they would usually put them on a, a ranch a high fence ranch. Um, and then they would usually escape and then start breeding, of course, and just start spreading all over the countryside. And the state would end up with a sizable population. I think they're at five or 6,000 now and, um, would open up hunts for that. Um, mainly to control that quote invasive species population. Um, you know, but if you look at like where these things live, it's, I don't know how they live there. Cause you know, it's, uh, the forecast for September 18th, the day I actually took a freezer with me because the forecast for that day was 95 degrees, <laughs> you know, and that's not the heat of summer. <laughs> yeah. Um, and there's very sparse vegetation and water. I don't even know where they get water, you know, probably water tanks or something, but, um, so that's kind of, you know, like they just brought them in from Africa for hunting purposes and they escaped is usually the story that you get. So like, I'm thinking of preparation for any other hunt. I, I kind of know what I do or should do, or I'd like to do and I do it. Um, but here you've got a tag that is like nothing else you've done hunted in a place like nowhere else you've ever hunted. 
and you know you don't get to just go wandering around for five days and and get to get to do whatever probably a little bit of pressure just with yeah i'd love to get one uh but yes it's still about the experience and 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 trying to and, and one day so there's the pressure of you got one day to do it how did you yeah. what kind of preparation was going through your mind what kind of preparation did you do um from like start to day you left what, what were some of those things yeah um well the number one thing you want to do with a lot of exotics is make sure you know where their vitals are because they can be <laughs> a, a bit different than an mm-hmm. elk or a deer and it, you know uh, just different like vertically different horizontally different maybe enough that you'd want to concern yourself with it um but i knew that the draw odds or not the draws but the success rate is in the 90 90 mid 90 percent range so that didn't worry me as much but you always got to think it's a hunt and there are some people that are not successful so yeah um so knowing where to shoot them and then they do publish a lot of the data on the hunts like um how far the shots is they after you're done, you actually have to fill out a complete harvest report that includes the shot, where you shot it, how far the shot was, exactly where it was on GPS. So you kind of you, you get some of that data too. So you pour over that um, and make sure that um, you just you know the animal and its habits, and then um, just like you would normally with you're going on say an archery elk hunt or something, you know. So and then always always shoot the rifle, um, as much as possible. You know, I, um, always sight my gun in the, the week before a hunt, no matter if I've hunted it a couple times that month, cause you just never know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I always shoot, um, I'm fortunate enough to have a 500 yard range here out my front door. Um, I always shoot uh, at least to 400 yards, uh, to make sure those, those rounds are traveling straight and true out to those longer ranges. Um, and then I always take a backup gun because again, you just never know and you might as well. Right. So make sure the backup gun sighted in if you have a chance. And then, uh, the, as far as getting ready for the hunt, I knew it was a one day hunt and it was like, all you do is drive the roads and look for them. So So it's not a physical preparation by any means. No. And, um, so I took all my camping gear and I took everything I might, or some things I might need just to camp on the side of the road and then uh, made sure I looked at the weather because it is the desert. And like you said, it was 95 degrees was the forecast. So I made sure all, you know, my typical cooler isn't going to cut it today. So I took a generator and a freezer um, and just ran that generator of the way down there and had a nice cool chest freezer to put that animal in. And then, you know, a, a big part of these hunts is you usually have to drive a long ways. Hmm. And so I made sure my truck needed, needed an oil change. So I changed oil, probably, you know, air filters, fuel filters, make sure your tires are rotated and balanced, make sure your spare is good. Make sure your jack works. You have a lug wrench, uh, make sure all your lights are working. Um, is people see the Colorado license plate I have and they think that guy's up to no good because they have legal marijuana. So I'm going to pull them over. Yeah. Even if it's just the taillight out, you know, so I'm pretty particular about maintaining my vehicles. Um, because that hunt was, it was a 12 and a half hour drive each way. 
And, um, and it's we'll almost like that here. Yeah, it's All almost right. like you got you've got one day. It was almost like you're preparing for a race. <laughs> and, yeah, and pretty there's, much. There's no um, time for screw ups. Uh, no, it's, it's vehicle like my, malfunction. What if my, uh, you know, once my oil gets low and I'm out in the middle of nowhere and I have to walk 10 miles to get to a gas station, I may not make it to that hunt. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if it's two in the morning, you know? So yeah, just take all, you can always, something can always happen. Like we just acknowledge that, but you take precautions to minimize that risk. Right. You know? Um, and that's what I've always added, and then, added to my gear list is those things that you're talking about, the jack, even an extra belt yeah. for your truck, the just all yeah. those extra little things. You got a socket set, you got tools, you got this and that to to really make sure you got got your bases covered. Yeah, and like like our truck, my little I have a Tacoma, a '99 Tacoma, and it's just it's a stick shift. The clutch had been acting funny, so I made sure and I got up in there, and it wasn't the actual clutch pack; it's the pedal that's wearing. They just they make them to wear. So I didn't think that I was going to have an issue there because it was the pedal and not the clutch and, you know, just anything and everything, you know, and then, and prepare yourself for a long drive <laughs> mentally, right? Because that's a long ways to go by yourself. Oh yeah. Um, you know, I had always have some drinks ready. I always have dinner, a good dinner ready in the truck. Uh, sometimes I'll stop to eat, um, you know, comfortable clothes to wear just get in the mindset that you're going to have a long trip ahead of you by yourself. And that if you're not very good at driving a long ways, once it gets dark, it gets really hard to stay awake. Yeah. So that's some way to stay awake. Yeah. And you know, so were you, were you even able to look at maps and kind of plan or look at it? Cause I know they're going to tell you where to go. Was that even worth it to do? Uh, not for the hunting portion. To be honest with you, I kind of looked at Fort Bliss, just the main road through it. Um, but I knew they were going to take us somewhere anyways. Mm. Yeah. Um, the biggest part was finding the fastest route down there. Yeah. You know? So um, when you get to drive that long, you can take like the most fuel efficient route is usually the shortest, but it's also slower. So you, you make sure you take the fastest route because a half hour, an hour on the road, if it's 12, one in the morning, it, it gets tired. You get tired and it can cause you an accident. Yeah. You know? So what I want to do real quick is take a little break and let an ad hit here, but also, um, we're going to talk in a sec just about the, uh, how this hunt went down. Cause I know this happened in a very short amount of time and without a lot of sleep. So hold on just a sec. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. 
With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, so this uh, hunt, you, you, uh, it's 12 o'clock on a Friday, and you're ready to roll. So start us there, because I chatted with you either on the way there or the way back. I can't remember. So Yeah, uh, it, it was quite a trip. Um, yeah, I was able to leave about 1230 from uh, the school that I uh, work at. And um, I headed up through, I chose to go up through Glenwood Canyon, up through Leadville and down south because it was supposed to be faster. But then, of course, Glenwood Canyon was closed for a bit. But So that cost me probably an hour. But you know, just hit the road about 1230, um, you know, and you get through. And I think I usually hit the New Mexico border at about dark, um, head through Santa Fe, hit Albuquerque, um, and, you know, we're getting towards eight, nine at night, 10 at night now, but I still got three hours to go. And it just, at that point, 10 o'clock or so is when I usually go to bed. So it starts to become a slog for me. Mm -hmm. Um, and I get to about 11 and I usually just stop and get coffee and I can kind of stick my head out the window like a dog and keep myself awake because it's, you know, cold enough and I have coffee just to get there. But our, our principal suggested Red Bull. So I grabbed some Red Bulls and let's go. <laughs> and I'll, I'll never do this again. Um, so like, it's like kind of maybe 1030 and I, I'm like, man, I'm getting tired and your eyes start to get really heavy. And so I slam a Red Bull and I'm like, wow. And you've, you've and never had Red Bulls or anything. Never had one. And yeah. I am like buzzing. And I get to about 1130 and I'm dragging again. I'm like, oh, this is not good. I'm going to fall. I'm literally going to fall asleep if I don't do something. So I drink another Red Bull. And I'm like, okay. And then I finally get off the freeway and I make my turn towards Fort Bliss. And I get to almost to the boundary of the military base. And I so I just pull off on this dirt road, um, drive down at a half a mile, and I park my truck. But I am just wired because I never drink Red Bull and I just drink two. Right. And then the other part of it is that I'm, I'm like 20 miles from the Mexico border on a dirt road that where nobody else is going except possibly some, maybe some uh, immigrant, illegal immigrants or smugglers. So I'm kind of wired because I don't want to get robbed either. No. Right. So it's one in the morning. It was a 12 and a half hour drive and I am just, I'm awake and I can't sleep and I toss and I turn and, you know, we're to meet the game warden at six and I, I didn't sleep that entire night. So I'm like, well, guess I better get up and get breakfast. And of course I was the first one there. He just, we just met the game warden at the, the Fort bliss boundary, like checkpoint. Cause they have a checkpoint there with soldiers and stuff. And, mm-hmm. you know, it turns out that there were three hunters. So there were three different trucks there and, um, the game warden showed up and checked, our paperwork to make sure we were all lined up there and that we had the access. He didn't check our guns or anything. He just checked the paperwork for access and our IDs and drove us into the, um, fort. Um, it was really interesting. 
they're actually housing about 3,000 Afghan immigrants there. Um, no pictures, none of that. They wouldn't let us do anything like that. And they probably took us about 20 miles into the base. Um, and then we, we pulled off just on a dirt road and the guy said, okay, uh, here's the, here's the hunt area. You can go north to the fence and you can go south to that fence and you can go, uh, northeast about as far to the fence. You know, he just said, just, if you hit a fence, stop, you know, and how, how casual um, is this conversation or is it feeling intimidating? No, it wasn't. That's just what I was expecting. Like military grade, like if you're not perfect, you're going to get arrested. Um, but he's, they, you know, they just, Hey, here are the fence lines to stay within the boundaries. Um, and so we're like, okay, sounds great. And one of the guys, uh, that was there actually shot one last year as a resident in New Mexico, you know, the tags are a lot cheaper. So he goes, well, I shot mine over there last year. I think I'll go there if you're okay with it. And the other two of us are like, yeah, okay. Nobody knows where the animals mm, are. Sure. The other guy says, well, I think I'll go to the North fence and just drive along it. And so I said, okay, I'll just take the middle, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, if an animal's coming my way, it's coming, you know? And, um, so yeah, that was it. And it was 15 minutes before sunrise before we started actually hunting, you know? So we're looking at, I don't know, seven fifteen, seven thirty by this point. And they just, they let us go and said, call us. If you get one down, we'll come check it. And, um, so we just, they took off the other guys and I just kind of started punching up the road and every couple hundred yards I'd stop and I'd actually stand on my truck and just put my binos up. Uh, Cause knowing that if they were standing up, they'd be pretty obvious being white. Um, did that a couple of times. And the, I think it was the third time that I stopped. I put my glass up and there was a couple of Oryx sitting out there at about 400 yards, you know, and just milling about and they bedded down, looked right at me, didn't care a bit. You know, because they, I mean, they have bombs exploding around them. Which is kind of crazy. Over, so they, you know, <laughs> like they, they don't care if there's a person around. And so I actually drove up the road a little ways, uh, as far as I dared, because I am used to elk and deer hunting. And yeah. I was afraid to push them. And then I, I probably walked 50 yards towards them, set up at 300 yards. And wouldn't you know, one of the, the one with horns, one of them didn't even have horns. Um, the one with horns actually stood up and just started kind of grazing around. Uh, it was a, obviously an adult, a good representative animal. So I went ahead and took her. It, was, it ended up being a, a cow. Um, so I went ahead and shot her. Um, and that was that, 15 minutes of hunting. <laughs> <laughs> and did you ever hear about the other hunters? No, I didn't actually. Um, so I had 15 minutes so it's probably seven 30 when I shot the animal and I had her cut up by nine o'clock, nine 30. I think I was pulling out and I had heard one other set of shots to the Northeast. So I'm not sure if they got something. Um, but on my way out, I did see, let me think. 
Well, you'll oh, be I did see the other party on my way out still looking around for animals. They were on top of their truck with their binos up. So I know that I was the first one for sure, and I'm, I'm unsure of one of them, and then the other guy was still looking. Well, and I, yeah. I bet, uh, I bet you could figure that out now if you go back and look at the stats, see what I probably could. Yeah, yeah, or whenever um, those come out. Yep. Uh, so, so yeah, the uh, I'd be curious to know, like, with the other one that was there, was it about the same size? Didn't have horns? Is that is that something that probably just broke I, off? I don't. You know, I never looked it up. Um, it was a little bit smaller. So it may have been a, cause the one I shot was a female, a really old female. Like she was starting to deteriorate. You could kind oh. of see her rib cage and her, her bones a little bit. Um, and her teeth were completely worn to the nub. Huh. Um, so the other one was pretty small. I'm wondering if it was just a really young female Oryx, hmm. you know, maybe a year old that just hadn't started its horn growth, but I like that's pure speculation. Yeah. Yeah. So then you're running on how many hours of sleep or hour? Zero. Zero. Yeah. Yeah. So, I haven't slept since five o'clock Friday morning <laughs> and it's nine thirty Saturday and I'm about to drive 12 hours. <clears throat> okay. So yeah. <laughs> then what? So you got to load it up. Uh, yep. Yeah. Everything's good. Freezers running and I just start headed back home and after the paperwork, you know, like, of course, and the, the check-in, and how long did that take? You know, here's what's funny is, like, you think they're going to grill you with all these questions and the paperwork, and they just, uh, you know, they I called them after I shot the animal, got one down, um, and they just, they come strolling up, because I'd sent them my GPS coordinates, and they walked up to me, hey, you got a good representative animal there. Oh, make sure you fill your paperwork out. <laughs> okay. Okay. Is that it? <laughs> like, oh, you know, and they had told us, don't drive anywhere. There's not a road. Um, but they had kind of loosely defined road and said anywhere there's tracks. Hmm. And so I was about 300 yards from the truck, which, of course, given that haul out episode we had, is not a big deal for me. And they're like, why don't you just pull your truck up here? And I'm like, are you sure? There's not a road or anything, and it's not that far. I'm good. And they're like, nah, just pull your truck up here. <laughs> I was like, all right. Sounds good. You got it, buddy. So, <laughs> yeah. So what I did, actually, is I pulled my truck up, and I shaded the animal. Because um, it was it was already climbing past 75 degrees, you know, that early yeah. in the morning. So I shaded the animal, and I had a good, I put a tarp out because that dirt in the desert and the brush it's just nasty when you get it on your meat um and you can't get it out it feels like you're eating sandpaper so um it was probably the best cut up job i've ever done for cleanliness on an animal Hmm. um based on having the truck there and and the tarp and stuff but they were just pretty they were really casual really nice guys you know just down to earth and you could tell they had done it a hundred hundred two hundred times and um, when you follow the rules, there's nothing for them to complain about. Huh. So, so then, yeah, do you, uh, drive straight through? Do you stop I, that? I never actually I heard. Did. You did. Yeah. So I just, I, the first couple hours, so I probably drove for two hours straight and I had to get fuel. Um, 
you know, just grab some convenience store food and I just started driving. And I think I hit, I probably hit the Colorado border about dark. And, uh, I decided to actually drive through Durango over the mountains. Um, partly because it was shorter to my house because the day before I didn't start at my house, I started Northeast of my house, but it was shorter. And then the other thing you can do in the mountains is stick your head out the window when it's 40 degrees and it wakes you up pretty good, (laughs) you know? So, um, ate some dinner in Durango. And at that point I was probably four hours from our house and, and just kept on driving and I didn't have to drink a cup of coffee or anything. And I got home about, at 10:30 it must be I that think. hump the of like yeah. you've gone so long like without just, sleep yep and two red bulls and a little bit of adrenaline can get a guy a long ways i guess <laughs> more of the I story just, yeah no i wasn't red even bull. tired <laughs> when i got home i wasn't tired i completely unloaded the truck you know got the meat i turned the freezer off cuz i didn't need it running and freezing the meat but yeah. Um, you know, kept it cold and um probably crawled in bed about midnight. <laughs> so I went from five AM Friday to midnight Saturday without sleeping. Yeah. Yeah. Um that was definitely so I think we figured it out it was like thirty three hour trip and I spent thirty of it in the truck. <laughs> 25 driving, five trying to sleep, and then literally three hours was shooting and cutting up knowing what you know now and what that all entailed would you do it all over again uh, you bet i would <laughs> that's yeah. what i figured you bet i figured they offered me an ibex tag I'd, I'd drive down there tomorrow if i had to yeah that's what i figured and, and i just wanted to share too with the listeners that i know your style of hunting you have zero problem working hard for an animal and that's another episode another day uh yeah. So it's not that yeah. an easy drive around hunt is is something you normally do. So, um, but you worked for it in a totally different kind of way, <laughs> making a making yeah. a hunt happen when when there's zero vacation t- days allowed <laughs> right in there. So that's yeah, that's pretty. Yeah, and you got to consider once or twice a year I'm driving twelve plus hours to go hunting. Um, most years it's just Arizona over the counter deer in southern Arizona. Um, this year it was at Oryx hunt, but my daughter's deer tag in unit 16 in New Mexico was a 12 hour drive each way. Yeah. Um, I did a six hour drive to Northern New Mexico for my deer hunt, you know? Um, so I, I'm willing to travel to go hunting. Arizona was going to be 19 or 20 for me. And yeah, it was just I at felt that, bad for you. That, <laughs> it was just at that limit where I was like, Oh man, I don't, I, I, I need to stop like four hours short or something. Cause that would have been, that would have been tough yeah, to do. I've done a 16 hour drive, uh, to Southwestern Arizona, the archery hunt deer. And that was pretty bad. Cause I, I can't remember. I left home. Oh, I left straight from Christmas party at the family house in Grand Junction and I just started driving and I was going to drop my kids off with my in-laws in Durango but it started snowing like mad so I'm going 20 miles an hour pulling a trailer with an ATV and I didn't get to Phoenix until daylight 
you know, and I'm still two hours from a hunt spot. So that, that was a pretty miserable trip. Um, and then on the way back, a trailer bearing blew out, like you name it, that trip that happened. Um, but yeah, so I'm willing to, to put the time in cause like you think about it, most people stay within four hours of home to hunt. Right. Um, but you can drive for eight more hours and possibly and have a big adventure for sure. Yeah. Um, and then possibly put yourself on even better animals, you know? Right. Um, if you're willing to put in some of that work. Yeah. So what, what did it taste like? Uh, it's pretty good. Like I said, I think that, that she was pretty old. So I think that kind of the flavor is a little bit, um, it just tastes like an old animal, you know? Um, there was, so, you know, cutting this animal up, there was zero fat on her. Hmm. Um, you know, most of her, so you said in the fall, you cut an elk or a deer up and you've got half an inch or an inch, or if you hunt and bear, you've got an inch and a half or two inches of fat on the rump. Mm-hmm. There was nothing. I thought I was caping a skull the entire time. There's just no fat. All right. So, um, it's really easy to dry out when you cook it. You have to be really careful. Um, it's a really... Uh, again, we're used to a darker red meat, elk and deer, and this is a really like a lighter pink meat uh, that uh, it's pretty tender, right? Um, and it is, it was still pretty tasty, even though uh, she was old, but it tastes different. And I, I still haven't figured out what that different taste is. It's just got a lighter, milder flavor, um, kind of like maybe a combination between a pork and a deer meat, you know, it's just kind of right in the middle. Yeah. So it's pretty good. We're actually, I I got some in the fridge right now to make the heat is out of us tomorrow. So um, we're we're getting through it. How much, uh, how much meat did you get off of it? Or roughly do you think? Uh, I would have to, I'd, I think probably 80 pounds, maybe. Oh, okay. Maybe a hundred. Wow. You know, yeah, I, I can't remember exactly, but huh. somewhere in that range. Yeah. yeah. But again, she, it was a female and she was right. a little skinny. Right. You know, a big bull is going to probably be much, much more meat. Yeah. Um, but, well, that's uh, a heck. You know, the horns, as far as the horns go, you oh, know, yeah. they're really pretty, nice, straight, sharp tipped horn with kind of, they kind of V out of the head a little bit. And, um, you know, a good animal, 36 inches plus, and I got a 37-inch you know, animal and on a population management hunt. Um, and so, yeah. you, you know, if you even if you go to Africa, that's a really good animal to get in Africa. It's 36 plus. And um, so, what do you do? Have some monsters down there. That in the Fort Bliss game warden office, he said he had a 46-incher. Oh, geez. Yeah, like some there are some monsters, but they're pretty rare, yeah. of course. So what are you going to so, do with it? Uh, it's at the taxidermist uh, getting mounted. Yeah. Good. So hopefully <laughs> have that back here in a few months. Yeah. And I don't know where I'm going to put it. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm assuming the elk just got Euro mounted. Uh, no, that's the taxidermist too. Nada boy. <laughs> yeah. No, it's cr- you know, like yeah. we're getting, we've been really blessed the last few years. You know, I've got, uh, my wife shot a mountain goat last year. We just got that back and it's really neat. Um, you know, that you did a, a, some rock, the color of the rocks that 
we sh- he, she shot him in and a left turn out and oh, um, did a really good job building a second horn because one of them busted off when that goat fell and then he put the chaps on it. It's just really neat. Um, and then I got my New Mexico elk from last year that was 304, but the mass on it, you know, it's like the bases. You can't pass up mounting that bull. And, right. And then I get an Oryx, and then I get a 334 bull this year. Like, <laughs> okay, I have a really small house. This is not the place for this. Um, like, I, I took my mountain goat off the wall, took it to school, put my wife's on the wall, and then I put my bull from last year next to our furnace in the garage. You know, thinking about so, additions yet, <laughs> putting on an addition. Uh, we're starting to plan it actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I actually, we picked up a load of stock yesterday from Hotchkiss to Sawmill and I do all the, I built all the doors and stuff and I'll do that awesome. again. So awesome. yeah, it's on our list for next start next summer. Hopefully. Well, um, I know you said you apply for one of nine other states or, or good majority of them, but what is really on the top of the I want to chase it next list? Mine, like I said before, is the cottontail with a recurve, um, <laughs> the elusive cottontail in my yard. But uh, um, it got away from me a little bit ago. So um, what's what's on your list? Yeah, I, I try not to keep a list, actually. Um, so my first list is anything I can get a tag for. Right. Right. I just want to go hunting. Um, and I particular to mountain hunting. That's just, I just like hiking around and being in the mountains and be able to stand on top of a ridge and look. Um, but then you got to kind of tone yourself down. Like what's realistic? Like, is it realistic for me to expect to get an Ibex tag next year? No. Oh no. That's one in 500 odds. Probably not. You know, I'd love to, but so my, mine are more like, what style of hunting can I do and what's more realistic, you know? So I'm looking at, I have a buddy that goes to Kodiak. He still lives in Alaska. Um, he goes to Kodiak every year for mountain goats and black tailed deer. I'd love to go with him to shoot a black tailed deer up there on one of these March spring breaks. Um, big horn, a sheep are always on my list and mountain goats just cause they are the true mountain animals. Mm-hmm. Like they're just always on my list. Um, and then the one animal that I never really tried to get in Alaska, never did get, was a grizz, grizzly bear. Yeah, still on my list. Um, and then I put a lot of time the last couple of years into trying to shoot a 180-inch-plus mule deer buck. Yeah. Um, I just haven't connected. Um, you know, like I passed on 35 different bucks this year trying to find a big one and I just couldn't. And that's between a hunt in Utah and the hunt in New Mexico. Um, well, I you've would got, love, you've what? got your, uh, your big elk. I mean, that, that, I was, that was on now. your, that was yeah. on your that, that high on the, the desire list. My list. <laughs> so you got those. Yeah, it was, I was cursed for eight, <laughs> nine years. I didn't, I, it, we won't go into that, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I've got that out of the way the last two years. Yeah. Three Oh four and three thirty four. That'll cure your curse for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my just fun thoughts is I've shot black seven black bears and three of them with a bow and four of them with a rifle. I would love to shoot a black bear with a muzzle loader and a pistol just to have a hmm. four weapon yeah. black bear, you know, like yeah. it's just something fun. Right. Yeah. 
um, and completely doable where we are. Cause I know some water holes that I can just sit on with my pistol, a 44 mag and shoot one some year, you know, and, um, that Oryx hunt actually put the kibosh on my black bear hunt this year because it completely changed my focus. So those are kind of my more realistic attainable hunts in the States. I'd love to go shoot a wolf. Yeah. Um, but it's not like I have to go get one this year. Um, and then, you know, I, I probably will never hunt out of country, but if I did, I would love to go to New Zealand and shoot a tar. Mm-hmm. I just think they're really cool looking animals. The coloring and the hide and the horns is really neat. Um, big dream would, and then a, if Africa, then a greater kudu. I just love the way those horns look. Oh yeah. You know, so those are kind of my personal selfish desires, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, I, my kids are coming of age. Yeah. My son is seven. My daughter's 10. So I put my daughter in for Arizona, New Mexico. We're looking at Idaho. So one of my big things now is getting my kids out. Yeah. Um, even if they don't end up hunters, uh, they'll have a healthy respect of it, but then they'll just hopefully my big hope would be that they just love to be outside um, yeah. and to experience uh, creation and just enjoy life instead of sitting inside all the time, you know? Yeah. Um, so getting my kids out is a big deal for me as I, as I know it is for you. Um, yeah, it was, and that's, it was exciting to be able to put, put an animal on the ground for the first time with, with Ty this year. That was really neat. That was my one goal. Yeah. It was just a doe hunt, but my goal was I want him to see that. And now he talks all the time about his heart and the animal's heart and it, what the heart does and it pumps blood and it pu- does this thing. And I just, I pulled that heart out and he was so, I could just see those wheels turning and the learning that was yep. happening there was, it was cool. Not in a, in a gross way, but a cool way that it was a learning and seeing what real life is that I enjoyed that. That was awesome. Yeah. I totally agree with you there. Like my daughter's hunt, we drove 12 hours. She slept all night. I just drove and we got to the hunt area and our goal was, uh, have fun because you got to make those hunts fun for those kids. Um, spend time together. You know, daddy daughter time is invaluable when you work at a school and you see the lack of, of fathers in schools and kids lives and the effect it has and then shoot the first buck we saw. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and we came across a group, um, the second or third day and it was like 15 degrees. We're out camping. It's chilly. And we get in the truck. We're just driving around come across some deer, no buck, come across some deer, no bucks, come across a ton of elk because the heel is just full of big elk. And we eventually came around the corner and there was a group of does and I thought I saw a buck, but it was just little. And we sat there for about 10 minutes looking and eventually stepped out again. And and it just stood there at 150 yards broadside for five minutes while I got her set up. <laughs> you know, and so we're shooting a 22-250, which is legal in, in New Mexico. Mm-hmm. And she ended up um, hitting it in the spine, which is probably good because it put it on the ground um, and had to finish it off. And then, you know, cut that. So you can see the picture. She's really proud of herself. Oh, yeah. yeah. Cutting it up. What's that, Daddy? Oh, that's a, that's a tendon and there's a ligament and that's the fascia for the muscle. And, you know, that's the tenderloin. And this is a, you know, the rear quarter and you've got the brisket and, 
you know, you can get into all that anatomy and it's like the ultimate classroom. Oh yeah. You know, where these kids can learn that stuff and just, yeah. it's awesome, you know, and, and just the two of us with our, the way we operate, just getting kids outside um, with both your job and then I sponsor the outdoor club at our high school. It's just, you got to get kids outside because it just opens the world to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. Yep. Um, next, next on the list for that, after we did a bunch of ice fishing this year and Ty and I went out and, and, uh, caught a bunch of Northerns. <laughs> that was kind of a funny, oh, cool. that's what we were catching. Yeah. But, uh, the, uh, next thing for us is getting our boat fired up for, for spring fishing. So he's right at that age Good. where he's just going to have a riot going on a boat cruising around. I've got the, I've got a different boat than the old one we used to get stuck on out on the lake. <laughs> oh, yeah. I remember that. <laughs> that, uh, yeah, you just, the fuel keep... line's not working. Well, I'll just tear it off the gas can. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That didn't work either. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, uh, yeah. Uh, those little Johnson motors from the seventies are little tanks yeah. until, until you hit it. You, they have a, a barrier to them. But yeah. well, I want to let you you get back to your day. We hit an hour on the money right there, and then uh, yeah. I got to go feed my kids some supper. So, but that that's yeah. quite an adventure, and uh, I can't wait to hear the next tag that you draw and and some of those amazing adventures you got got in store for you. Yeah, it's been just the application season's on right now. Put your name in the hat. That's mm-hmm. what I tell people. You just put your name in the hat and see what happens. Exactly. All righty. Well, thank you, Jason. Thanks, Clint. Take care, buddy.